An estimated 600,000 foreign visitors and athletes are expected to join up to 2.5 million domestic spectators and volunteers at the 2008 Summer Olympic Games in Beijing. Patients will be seeking their doctor's advice on how to prepare for a safe and healthy trip. As a clinician, are you ready to respond? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing what physicians need to know when treating and counseling patients traveling to Beijing for the 2008 Summer Olympics. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Phyllis Kozarski, an expert consultant in the Division of Global Migration and Quarantine at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and a professor of medicine and infectious diseases in the Department of Medicine at Emory University. Welcome, Dr. Kozarski. Thank you very much. You know, this is a timely topic for patients traveling to China for the Olympics, but also for all future travelers to China. When physicians see these patients, what do they need to know first? A patient comes to a physician for pre-travel medical advice. What would you recommend? I think in general, what's most important is that people use common sense. Oftentimes, when we travel... There's a disconnect between the kind of behaviors we have at home and the kind that we will have on the road. So that's the first thing we try to talk to patients about. But I think it's an opportunity that we have as well to intervene on a number of levels. First of all, we like to make sure that people are up to date with their routine immunizations. That's very important. In most places around the world, there are this incidence of illnesses such as measles is much higher than in the United States. So it's important that people are protected against what we used to consider the childhood illnesses. Then we look at things like vector-borne or mosquito-borne diseases, tick-borne diseases. We look at issues such as food and water and risks of gastrointestinal illnesses such as common traveler's diarrhea, respiratory illnesses, and all other kinds of things as well. Now, wrapping up the pre-travel process, in your experience, do most health insurance plans cover travel medicine visits? And for a patient who's asking about travel insurance, what is the recommendation for that? There are a few parts to this. Number one is that, unfortunately, most routine health insurance policies do not cover pre-travel. They do not cover consultations, and unfortunately, other than routine vaccinations, do not cover special travel vaccines, and that's unfortunate. As far as insurance for the trip, there are several different kinds. One kind is trip cancellation insurance. Somebody who, say, has a chronic illness, chronic lung disease or heart disease, where unfortunately they may sustain a heart attack or increased angina a few weeks before the trip and thus have to cancel it. They don't want to lose the $10,000 or whatever because of that. So there's trip cancellation insurance that they can purchase at the same time as purchasing their trip. The second kind is supplemental medical insurance. For example, people get ill overseas. They go to a doctor or a hospital for visits, for interventions, and most of the time one has to pay out of pocket. And it can be very expensive. So there are policies that are supplemental that will reimburse those expenses on coming home. The third kind of policy is special evacuation insurance. For example, someone 
who goes to the Olympics, decides that they're going to spend some time in rural China thereafter, becomes very ill, has an accident, and wants to be taken elsewhere for care. That can be extremely expensive unless somebody has purchased a policy ahead of time that will allow the medical evacuation, for the most part, not home to the hospital that they're comfortable with in the United States, but to some place that is considered, quote-unquote, equivalent that might be in Singapore or Hong Kong or something like that. Okay. So now once the patient actually makes it to China, based on your research, can you talk a little bit about what the top health and safety concerns might be? I think it's interesting because one might think because it's a developing world country for the most part that people would be fearful of exotic diseases. That's not really the case. We forget about things that, or don't even think about things that are actually true issues in China for the traveler. The first one that we want to highlight is animal bites. People don't realize when you're walking around in the United States or take for granted that most pets or animals have received rabies vaccination. In countries like China, like in India, there are large packs of dogs wherever one goes, you know, rural or urban areas, and these dogs often have rabies. Rabies is a common disease in these countries and unfortunately is almost 100% fatal. So people have to be educated about staying away from animals and not trying to feed them or play with them or whatever so that they avoid animal bites or they will unfortunately require post-exposure shots that unfortunately are not may not be available where they are. That respiratory infections, sometimes other skin problems, traveler's diarrhea are issues that people can encounter certainly while traveling to China as well as other countries. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Phyllis Kozarski, an internationally recognized expert on travel medicine. We're discussing what physicians need to know when treating and counseling patients traveling to Beijing for the 2008 Summer Olympics. One hot topic right now, Dr. Kozarski, is avian influenza. Patients may ask their physicians about the risk of avian influenza and how they might be able to avoid it and prevent it. What do you recommend? In general, even though many of the several hundred cases of avian influenza in humans have occurred in Asia over the past several years, it is not something that we focus on because there is not a major issue over there right now. I think in general what we recommend is that people not frequent live animal markets, don't handle live or dead poultry, and are careful about the poultry they consume or the poultry products such as eggs that they consume so that they're fully cooked. I think those are the major issues. Although it is very common for people traveling to China or to Asia in general to get respiratory illnesses, Avian influenza is not a major problem right now, but we do caution people about the live animal markets. Now, expanding a little bit more about foodborne risks, what about water specifically for young children who might get dehydrated if they don't get enough to drink, or children who need water in their formula, as well as other foods to look out for while in China? As in other developing countries, tap water is not something that travelers should enjoy while they're over in China. 
it is important to either boil water, which will kill everything, or purchase bottled beverages. And that's very important to do. And in general, when people develop, whether it's children or adults, develop traveler's diarrhea, it's important to stay hydrated with safe beverages. And that means bottled beverages, boiled beverages, or carbonated beverages. Switching gears just a little bit, in an article you co-authored in the American Journal of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, you mentioned that injuries are common in travelers to China. What types of injury might patients encounter? Sure. As a matter of fact, that's a very, very good point. Injuries are actually the most common cause of preventable deaths in American travelers. And again, I think common sense comes into the prevention of many injuries. Motor vehicle accidents are a huge problem, whether you're the person driving the motor vehicle, which very often as a tourist, you're not in China, but as a pedestrian walking along the roads where there may be no rules of the road or where there may be overcrowded buses, trucks, animals, mopeds, rickshaws, all kinds of vehicles and animals and people on the streets. It's very, very important to have eyes all around your head and to wear good, comfortable shoes where pavement isn't very smooth sidewalks. So one needs to be very, very cautious in walking around and in, in general in riding in motor vehicles so that injuries aren't a major problem. Now, you mentioned a very important topic, which is motor vehicle accidents. As a pediatrician, I counsel patients a lot about car seats use and safety for children. Now, what should I be telling my patients when they're going with their children to China? You know, it's just like in other countries, sometimes it's difficult to find vehicles in certain areas that have the kind of car seats that we like to use or seat belts that we like to use or similarly on mopeds, you know, they may hire them but without helmets. And I think people need to take that into consideration when they're traveling if you want to carry your own protective equipment. Now, For long flights in general, I tend to get a lot of questions about whether it's a good idea to medicate children to make them sleep, how to deal with jet lag, are deep vein thromboses a problem, and what about the recirculated air? Are patients at risk when they're traveling just long distances? I think that for the most part, we look at sitting in a confined space in an aircraft the same as sitting in a confined space anywhere. Some of the first reports of deep venous thrombosis were certainly during World War II when people had to go into these bomb shelters and stay there for long periods of time in one position, and they would come out and have deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary emboli. And certainly that can happen is what we call the economy class syndrome, sitting in an aircraft over a period of time. That's true. People should get up and walk around when they can, stretch and flex their legs, do in-seat exercises, no matter how ridiculous they might look. I think that's very important. As far as the ventilation goes in aircraft, in most modern aircraft, about 50% is fresh air and 50% is recirculated air, but that recirculated air actually goes through HEPA filtration, which removes a good percentage 
of the microorganisms in the air. So actually, I don't feel that the air in itself is a hazard in an aircraft, except obviously if you're sitting next to, right next to somebody for 18 hours who's, who's sneezing constantly or coughing constantly, just as if you were sitting next to somebody in a movie theater or, or shopping right before Christmas in a mall, crowded mall, you might be at greater risk if somebody directly around you is ill. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Phyllis Kozarski, an expert consultant in traveler's health at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and co-editor of Health Information for International Travel, also known as The Yellow Book. We've been discussing what physicians need to know when treating and counseling patients traveling to China for the 2008 Summer Olympics and beyond. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening.